Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. Got a really good Figured Out Baseball podcast today. We're being joined by Gabe Grinder, who we're, we're very, very lucky to have him on the program. He is currently the head coach at Ottawa University and NAIA in Ottawa, Kansas. Um, I'll give you his background, and he's done so many good things in his career and been a lot of places and and just had a ton of success in, in doing it in kind of a unique way, which is a part of really what I want to get into in this podcast. But I'll give you the background on Coach Grinder before we jump into questions with him. Uh, like myself, he's a Pennsylvania native. He won a state championship in high school at Seneca Valley High School, which is just outside of Pittsburgh. So he's a, a Pittsburgh guy, uh, born and raised. He played collegiately in the 2007 and 2008 seasons at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, otherwise known as IUP. He finished uh, spending uh, finished up at Southeastern University and NAIA in Florida. He was there in the springs of 2009 through 11. The 2009 team finished third in all of NA, or he finished third in, in all of NAIA by saving 14 games out of their bullpen. He graduated from Southeastern in 2011. In 2012, he was the pitching coach at what was then known as the as Florida Christian College. That was the first year that the program existed. It has since changed their name to Johnson University. Uh, but in 2012, Coach Grinder helped start the program from scratch. The team won 27 games in their first year, which is unbelievable. Uh, they finished second in the NCCAA World Series. That stands for National Christian College Athletic Association. He was just there in the one year 2012. He spent the 2013 season as the pitching coach at Southeastern University, his alma mater in Florida. There he coached two NAIA All-Americans. He coached a pitcher who set the NAIA all-time saves record. Coached another player who led all of NAIA in strikeouts. The team finished second that year in all of NAIA in total strikeouts as a team. 2014, he moved on to be the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator at Morningside College. While he was there, the team set the school record uh, for strikeouts back-to-back seasons. One of those seasons was the year he was there. He coached individuals who set uh, school single-season records for wins and saves in 2014 as well. Then 2015, he moved on to be the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator at West Virginia Wesleyan College. Spent one season there. 2016 through 18, he spent three seasons as the pitching coach at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, an NAIA program in Oklahoma. The 2017 team went to the NAIA World Series. That year, they set the school record for strikeouts again. 2018 team at Oklahoma Wesleyan, the team was ranked as high as fifth in the country. They led, led, they led all of NAIA and ERA with a team ERA of 2.33, a really incredible number for a team throughout a college season. They also set a new school record for strikeouts that year. Uh, with that team, that's kind of, if you haven't noticed, kind of a, a recurring theme with Coach Grinder's teams. In three seasons at Oklahoma Wesleyan, Coach Grinder coached one All-American as well as two Conference Pitchers of the Year, and the team won 145 games in three seasons. Really, really uh, had a great amount of success there. That led to him being hired as the head coach at Ottawa in June 2018. So the spring of 2019 would have been his first season. He took over a program that had not had a winning season since 2010. The 2018 team went 17 and 28. In 2019, Coach Grinder's first spring, the team set six school records, two individual records as well as four team records. The team finished 20 and 26 overall. Then the 2020 team, which had the season cut short because of COVID, they started 17 and nine before being shut down. 
The 21, 2021 team went 37 and 20 overall. They had one All-American and won a conference championship for the first time in quite a long time at Ottawa. Overall, in his coaching career, Coach Grinder has coached 11 players who have gone on to play professional baseball. Um, he's also spent several seasons coaching summer collegiate baseball. Uh, at Ottawa, in only three seasons, the team has set all but four or five records uh, in, in, in every category, offensively, uh, on the mound, everywhere. In just three seasons, they have totally rewritten the record books at Ottawa and just an incredible amount of success there in a short period of time. Uh, as you can see, Coach Grinder, he's been a lot of places. He's coached all over the country. He's had a great amount of success everywhere he's been and really has a good thing going at Ottawa. Uh, Coach Grinder, sorry for the long intro there. That was a long one, but I, I there was so much to cover. And I, a lot of things I think I, I wanted people to know about you before we jumped into this, but I just personally at this point want to say thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me this morning, Jeff. Uh, I appreciate the long intro. Uh, I, I don't know if it, it's as good as you make it sound, but I do appreciate it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One of the things I, I want to, I, I like to start with with guys typically, um, you know, I like to start with something from the bio that really stands out. And there are a lot of things I think we could talk about. There are so many things to get into in this podcast. It's going to be hard to fit everything in in about an hour that I want to talk about with you. But the first thing is just, all the traveling that you've done. Um, you've been to a ton of different schools. You've coached uh, in the in more, I guess, sort of the Northeast. You've coached in the Southeast. You've coached in the Midwest. Um, can I just ask you, how is that something that you had planned, or is that just kind of like you, you were open to any job that was available and kind of took the best thing that was out there? Can I just ask, first of all, there uh, just how you ended up at so many schools in so many different parts of the country? Yeah. Uh... It's not anything that I had ever thought I would do. I thought I was going to be uh, an East Coast guy my entire coaching career, and uh, I've spent way more time in the Midwest than anywhere else. But uh, when I got into coaching, when I started down in Florida, uh, I had two great guys I worked for, and John Copeland and then my, my former coach, uh, Jason Beck. And, and Coach Beck, my second year, encouraged me to leave and get out from underneath him. Uh, he said guys that, that spend time away from where they played at typically have better success in coaching. Um so I, I left, and I I went to Morningside, which when I got to Iowa, I'll be honest with you, I was driving through some cornfields, and I called my dad and said, I don't know what the heck I just did. Uh, I left the beaches of Florida for the cornfields of Iowa, but uh, it's really helped me grow as a coach, just kind of bouncing around. And I've had the privilege of working for some tremendous head coaches, which have helped prepare me uh, for where I'm at today. I think that's – you know, it's a it's a similar path that I had in a way, just moving around and going to different programs and working under different guys. And certainly, there's a lot to learn. Um, you know, by moving around to different programs. And funny that you went to Iowa and had that feeling. Um, I went from coaching at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh to coaching at a junior college in Iowa. I did it without ever visiting the college. I just knew that they, the program I was joining, had a an incredible amount of success. I really wanted to learn how to win. 
as a coach. So I took that job sight unseen and showed up there uh, mid, you know, mid year in January and kind of, kind of thought the same thing. Like it was cool, but at the same time, it's like, man, what did I just get myself into? But it ended up being a really good move for me. Yeah. You know, now, Gabe, you're uh, married, and if I'm not mistaken, you've got three kids. Does that change things yes, for you at all as far as? Um, you know, just wanting to stay, not that you're going to be at Ottawa forever, but just, you know, kind of slow down as far as moving to different colleges or being a little more picky about it or, uh, or, or anything else just with, with, um, you know, moving on to different programs and, and moving up in the world any way that you can. Does having a family change that at all? Cause I'm sure you've had kids that, through some of these moves. It does. It absolutely does. So we actually, we left West Virginia to go to, to Oklahoma, my wife and I. Uh, we were, we were just newlyweds and, and we were about to have our, our first one, Ashton, who's now five, and uh, that was the first grandbaby for her side of the family, and we were two hours from my family, which I never had been in a long time, so people thought we were crazy when we left, uh, but uh, it, it definitely has changed things, because when I got to Oklahoma, we had a, we had our first one, we had our second one there as well, and it makes you want to stay around more, because you, you build better connections when you have families. Uh, when I was a single guy, it was easy to move, um, and now that we're in Ottawa, we've got three kids, we've we've really found a church that we love uh, and it's a great community of people. So it definitely makes you stay put uh, when you have a family. And I think, I think you owe it to your family too, to keep them in a certain area because it allows them to grow. I think if you're just continuing to bounce around, it makes it really tough on family. So for me, it, it definitely keeps me cemented in places a whole lot longer than when I, when I was single and doing this. So tell me a little bit about Ottawa and about your program there. If, if someone didn't know the first thing about you guys and just almost like your recruiting spiel, you call a kid for the first time, maybe he's from a little bit further away, he's never heard of Ottawa University, tell me maybe the, um, the, the Cliff Notes version of what you have going there, you know, as far as the school goes, as far as the baseball program goes. Uh, just give me, maybe give me some snippets you think are important and, and just kind of, uh, giving people a bit of a summary about what's, what exactly is happening with the, at Ottawa University, especially with the baseball program. Yeah. So I, I think the first thing is location. I think when people hear Kansas, they think, uh, Wizard of Oz in the middle of nowhere and like, holy <laughs> cow, there's nothing around. Uh, but we're in a great spot where we're at. Uh, we're, we're about 25 minutes away from Lawrence where KU is. And then we're probably, about 45 minutes to an hour, depending on traffic from downtown Kansas City. So we've got a lot of great stuff around us. Uh, I always tell guys, hey, we offer the best of both worlds. We're a small town place. Auto is about 15,000, so we're a small town. But then we also have big cities around us. That's what you want also. So it, it's a great opportunity as far as that goes with location. Uh, Education-wise, we're, we're, we're a great institution. We're, we're a top 40 Midwest institution. Guys get great degrees from us. We've been recognized in three different programs as well um, as going above and beyond with what we do with our students. So education is awesome with us and, and guys crush it and get out of here and pick up jobs right away because we prepare them. And then baseball wise um, for us, I always tell guys, Hey, there's three things we're going to do with you. Uh, we're going to make sure you grow as a person, uh, a player and make sure you get your degree uh, and how we go about those things. I, I don't think we do one thing better than the other. They all work together. And for me, we want to see guys really grow as a person, hopefully in their walk uh, with God and, and what that looks like for them. Uh, we want to see them grow in that, but then also we want to prepare them to be great businessmen and great husbands and fathers when they get out of here because they're going to spend way more time doing that than they will playing the game of baseball. Um, and then we get to use baseball as a tool to help them succeed there. Uh, we put a lot on our guys' plate. 
create a, a crazy atmosphere every day at practice that forces them to compete, pushes themselves, and then we demand a ton of them in the classroom. Uh, when I took over this program, there was a 2.4 GPA that I inherited, and since then we have not been below a 3.0 except for my first semester, which we were a 2.98. That ticked me off that we couldn't get uh, just a, a couple more points to get above the, uh, the line there. But we push the guys in every area, and I think that helps them succeed when they get out of here and become um, great individuals that are, again, great businessmen and great husbands and fathers. So that kind of naturally leads me into uh, something else. And, I, and I've, I'm going to do something in this podcast I don't normally do. I'm going to um, quote you <laughs> several times throughout this podcast, some things that you've written or said uh, that I think are really important and I think are, are interesting to bring up. So the first one is is based on what you just said. Um, I, I've read a quote from you that said, coaching isn't a profession. It is a ministry to teach young men how to lead with a servant's heart. And I thought about that when you, just with what you said and, uh, and about what your, what your goals are there. And, and I'd like you to talk about that if you can, if you can kind of expand on that, just what, what it means for you to be a coach and how exactly that's a, a ministry to you and how you, um, got to the point where, where that's how you see coaching as opposed to just, uh, coaching is all about winning and, and building the resume and it, and you know, if you're not winning, you're not accomplishing, um, you know, the ultimate goal, but, but obviously, you know, winning has, is obviously a part of what you're doing, but you, you see there's something bigger than that. And I, if you don't mind, I'd like you to kind of expand on that and just talk about what it means when you say that, that coaching is a ministry to you. Yeah. So I, my dad is, he has a sports ministry back in Western Pennsylvania, Christian Sports International, uh, that I got to be a part of growing up my entire life and being around sports and ministry and how those tie together. Uh, so naturally, I love baseball, and I knew I probably wouldn't be very good at sitting behind a, a desk working a 9-to-5 job. So I got into baseball, and, and I think there's a misconception that if you're not in in the church, then you can't have a ministry. Uh and for us, for my wife and I, I say us because I, I do think this is both of us working together. Uh, this is our ministry. Uh, my wife was a, a children's pastor before we got married back in Canada. So uh, for her, naturally, she, she loves pouring into people still. Uh, so we view this as a chance. Yes, we do one-on-one baseball games when we're here, but we view this as a chance to, to develop young men. Uh, to For A, guys that have a relationship with Christ – to grow that and be for guys that have never encountered that, give them a chance to encounter it. Um, so for me, I, I think it, baseball gives that avenue to open that door and talk with guys. Because uh, if I just walked up to someone and, and started having that talk, they might have some walls built up, and, and I can't do that. But through relationships and through this game, it's led to a lot of fun conversations with players over the years. Uh, so that's why I look at it as a ministry for my wife and I because it gives us a chance to, to tell people about what we really love, and that's our relationship with Christ. And baseball, uh, don't get me wrong, I love baseball, but um, that's kind of a, a secondary love for us. So uh, that's why I always say that I do believe coaching is a ministry, and, and for guys that view it that way, I think you find very successful coaches wherever they go. That's It's such a, it's a different perspective than a lot of coaches have, and it's unique, and you don't often hear – coaches talk about that uh you don't often hear coaches talk about uh the christian side of things and i don't know if it's just because it's not something that they 
you know, want to broadcast for various reasons, or if it's something that, that a lot of Christians feel like they're just going to kind of keep out of um, their coaching just because they, they don't want to, you know, make kids uncomfortable or, or push their ideals on them or anything else. But I just, uh, it's unique to me to see that from you uh, or to see that from, from a, from a head coach, especially a coach who's had a ton of success. Um, is that something that you bring up in the recruiting process? Is that, do, you, do your players know that, know coming in that, I guess that, that who you are as a Christian and, and that that's going to be just something that while is, is I'm sure isn't pushed on guys, but it is something that's going to be around as a part of your program. Is that something that they hear in the recruiting process with you? Yeah, it absolutely is. We talk about that with every kid because I don't want anyone to ever be blindsided. Um, and I don't want them to feel like, holy crap, he's pushing something on me. Uh, we don't do that by any means. We encourage guys. We tell them in the recruiting process, we're always going to encourage you Saturday after practice, go find a church and get plugged in. Uh, we encourage guys to get to FCA on campus when we have that. We actually have a former player of mine that actually runs that now. Um, so we encourage guys to get plugged in with that. And then, uh, we have devotionals as a team once a week as well. And, and I tell guys, okay, you're going to be around it because that's who me and my wife are. And that's a part of our lives. That doesn't mean you have to show up and you have to believe in it. Just understand you're going to hear it and you have to be comfortable with that. And I think people respect that a whole lot more. And for some guys, they love that. For some guys, they probably think, ah, whatever, I'll sit through it. But um, hey, if I get you for four years and you get to hear it, I hope it changes your heart a little bit. Uh, throughout that time, and, and I do believe that if we can help change hearts, that's the greatest thing that we can do as coaches. Um, so we work on that a ton with our guys, just through relationship building and then uh, presenting the gospel in different ways and encouraging guys to get plugged in with it. Can we talk a little more about that, Gabe? I, this is it's, it's different than we typically talk about on the podcast, but I just would like to talk a little bit, if you're comfortable with it, about how you do um, – work the gospel in or, or work, uh, you know, work things into practice or into conversations with guys without being pushy about it, but, but still with this, the intent of making, helping your players to become better people when they leave than when they got to you. Um, can you just talk about how, how you do that, how you look for opportunities like that? Or like, is that something that you might present to the whole team? Um, or is that something like you, you'll just, you might have an individual conversation with a player for one reason or another, and that's just something that comes up. Do you have guys into your office? I'm, I'm just curious about how you do that for a coach out there who maybe th thinks like, you know what, this is something that, that I feel like I should do as well, but I don't know exactly how to go about, um, you know, working Christianity and, and that message into my coaching. Can, can you, is that yeah. something that, that you feel like you can discuss? Yeah, I, I absolutely can. Um, I, I think it's, it goes a bunch of different directions. I don't, I don't know that I actually have like a solid plan. Uh, I know that might sound crazy, but uh, wherever we kind of get led to share, we do. Uh, I think one of the easiest ways is praying for our guys. So we have guys over for dinner a bunch. Uh, that's a relationship piece for us. Uh, I just, we want guys in our home. I want guys to see what that looks like for, for me being a husband and a father. Uh, so maybe one day they can rely on that because I know I do from my time in college with Coach Beck and with different uh, head guys that I coached for, just being able to watch them interact was huge for me um, in that setting. So um, having them over the house, praying over dinner, praying over the year for them, we did that. So we have a – we kind of stole it from Coach Murphy at, at Alabama and his softball program, but he has class dinners, freshman, sophomore, junior, seniors. Um, we do that here. They've been put on pause because of COVID, so we, we didn't get to them all yet. But 
having a chance to pray over the guys in their year and that that they would encounter they would encounter Christ either if they have that relationship it grows or be they they find it um, just little ways of putting it in there because I know we have guys that have never prayed in their lives guys that have never been to church guys that go to church every single Sunday pray every day we get them from all walks so if we can do little subtle things like that we do it uh, at practice um, I very much my beliefs are based off of uh, biblical truth. So uh, just the way we do things in practice and the way we interact with others, I always revert it back to, hey, this is what it looks like in life. Uh, and I don't bring out necessarily Bible Bible verses on them. We don't do that, but just reverting it back to, hey, this is how things should be done in life. This is what it looks like to do things the right way, to, to care for others, to be there for others. Uh, and I always tell guys, too, in the recruiting process, you're going to hear a nauseam. I'm going to take whatever you did at baseball and revert it back to what it looks like in life. Uh, and if guys don't think what they do every single day at baseball or in school doesn't set them up for what they're going to do in life, they're crazy. So we use those as teaching opportunities as well and and take my faith and integrate it that way. Uh, and then we'll bring guys to church with us on Sunday as well. Um, we try to entice guys because it is a 40-minute drive to the church that we go to over the park. So we try to entice guys with uh, – with getting them lunch afterwards. Uh, that'll typically get some guys out of bed and get them to make that drive. But uh, we do it that way. And then guys will just come in and have conversation. And I, and I think that's awesome when that happens because that's not me picking at it. That's guys just really, hey, I want to know more. Or, hey, coach, what do you think about this? Like, I've been struggling with this. And those opportunities are awesome to have with players because that's why we do it. Uh, I love those conversations and I love watching guys grow and that side of their life. And, and again, like I love baseball. I love winning, but I love watching guys grow as individuals and make something out of themselves. Do you find that those barriers are, are difficult to break down sometimes? Um, or is, I'm sure it's individual a little bit, but um, I think that that's, you know, coaches that have a hard time with this part of coaching, you know, really developing relationships. I think a lot of it is just, it's difficult maybe to begin or to, to get a player to, uh, to, to trust you enough to open up and, and realize that they that you care about them as more than a player but you care about them as a person um, do you find that it's difficult at times to to get guys to open up and to accept this part of how you coach and what the Ottawa baseball program is about or do you think that just like the culture that you're building there just kind of lends itself to guys being pretty open and being able to have conversations with you about you know things in their personal life and and, and uh, you know, ask you some personal questions, as you just kind of mentioned. Um, do you think that your culture kind of leads to that, or do you still find that uh, you know guys' backgrounds and and their comfort level um, with Christianity in the first place it, does that sort of dictate how open they are to you know to having those kind of conversations with you, or, or how exactly what what's your experience been just trying to have this type of conversation with players? I think it takes time and building relationships. I mean, you'll have guys come in that they're open, very open individuals, but um, I think kids want to know you care more than anything else before they're going to open up. Uh, and I think it, what helps with that is we share our own stories. Uh, so we do a deal where, where as coaches we share, and this is trying to, we try to get through the whole team so guys can kind of get a glimpse into everyone's life. We do uh, hero hardship and highlight. So we talk about our greatest hero, um, biggest highlight of our life and, and biggest hardship and that allows me to really show them my faith in a quick snapshot 
within three minutes uh, and tell them my hardest stories of life, uh, how I how I got to where I'm at in life based on who my hero is and how that led me to Jesus. And, and it, it allows them to kind of see what that looks like. And you'll start to hear guys share similar stories and, it, and it, it'll start to break down the walls. And then uh, I think after that, it is really, Hey, you got to spend time with these guys and talk with them. Um, Cause people just don't want to walk into a room and just, Hey, here's my entire life story. in a, in a quick second, they want to know you care and they're fully invested in them. Um, and that's, I think that's a tough part of the job because that takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. And, and I think for coaches who want to do that, that's the difference maker is how much time do you want to spend talking with guys and how much of your heart do you want to pour out to them? Because um, it is tough, but my wife and I are fully sold out to that and, and care about these guys and love them for them as much as we can. I imagine that is the tough part for coaches too, is really opening up to their players and, and letting players into their personal lives and, and not just um, who they are as coaches. Gabe, is that something that you've always done as a coach or is this something that you have um, sort of grown into or was there another coach? I know you moved around to a lot of schools. Was there a certain coach along the way that you coached under who, who sort of, um, you know, maybe had this same type of philosophy and you thought, you know what, this is the kind of coach I want to be. Kind of just kind of curious how you got to be this type of coach. Yeah, so early in my playing career, I, I played with athletes in action for a summer, and Rob Ramsar is actually the athletic director at Friends now, um, so a, a conference opponent, but uh, he coached me that summer, and, and one of the deals for the coaches was they opened up to us first about their life story uh, and allowed us – it allowed our walls to kind of break down a little bit. And then I saw it again with Coach Beck at Southeastern. Uh, and then when I was at Oklahoma Wesleyan, my second year, um, Coach Parker was actually going through an adoption process, him and his wife were, and kind of watched him pour his heart out to the team. And at that point, like, you could see that connection. And ever since then, I, I've used what I learned back when I was young and playing and from Coach Parker, and I, I just run with it. Because uh, I, I, I think we have to show players, too, that, we're human beings and we're vulnerable and we're just as as broken as they are at times um and i think that's how you get guys to open up because if we're coaches that never make mistakes and uh, we're just robotic and we're not human beings then don't ever expect kids to open up to you because that's not being real with them um i think we're just as broken and need as much grace as anyone else out there so i, I try to show that to our guys so that hopefully they see that through the way we do things and and they're willing to open up as well. And, and that's where we can build great relationships that hopefully uh, get them to grow and, and their time with us, whether that's a year or whether it's four years. That's always the goal with guys when they're here. How, why is that the goal? Um, why, why is that? I, I don't know if I even want to expand on that question. Why is that the goal <laughs> with you to just to impact guys' lives? That's, you know, I know there's other stuff we need to talk about. We sh we want to talk about in this podcast, but we I think we talked we were talking about what we are because it's pretty evident that this is what you feel like is really important. So why 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 is that the goal? The number one goal, if it is number one goal, why is that the number one goal to impact have a positive impact on these on the players' lives that you have the opportunity to have in your program? Why? Just baseball only lasts for four years for the majority of the guys that come through college. Um, if it was only ever about winning games, then we wouldn't we wouldn't set people on a trajectory that allows them to win for the rest of their life. 
And that's what I'm interested in. Uh, I want to see guys just do well when they get out of here in business and in life. Uh, I want them to be successful, whatever job they're at. And 15 years from now, if I'm still coaching, I want to see them married and having kids and being great husbands and fathers. And I think, uh, that's why it's our goal to impact lives more than it is to win baseball games. And I think if we impact lives, then winning baseball games will take care of itself at the end of the day. Um, I just, I, I, if you get caught up in wins, then you miss chances to really grow with kids because we get kids from all different backgrounds. And, and any coach would say this. This isn't just me. You get kids from uh, families where both parents are there, one parent, no parents, uh, really tough upbringing, had everything given to them type of kids. I, we get them from all across the board. So for me, uh, I think to give guys a level playing field, when they get here and, and really just pour into everyone that we have as much as possible uh, and watch them grow in different ways. That's what it's all about. Uh, and I think coach Beck did that with me when I played for him. Uh, he gave me a chance and he really helped me grow as an individual because he cared about me. Uh, and I am where I am today as a person because of him. Um, baseball was awesome with coach Beck, but at the end of the day, I, I am who I am because he cared so much about me. Uh, and then coach Parker really, in my time at Oklahoma Wesleyan, really showed me why it's important to pour into guys um, and why it's important to care as much as you do. Because uh, I, I still talk with guys that have been done playing at Oklahoma Wesleyan for, gosh, four or five years. We still talk uh, and, and catch up to see how life's going. And I love to hear stories of where guys are at, how they're doing, and they credit a lot of their time to the place that, the place they played at. Um and the time that we spent with them as coaches. So that's why it's important to me to do that because uh, we don't really talk about wins and losses anymore. We talk about life, and those are the things we remember the most. Um, I, and I was up in Washington recruiting. Gosh, that was early July. And one of the pitchers from Oklahoma Wesley uh, lives up there, and I actually grabbed dinner with him just to catch up. And we might have talked baseball for five, ten minutes, but we spent an hour and a half talking about life and business and how, how work's going for them, how everything else is going for them. Uh, so that's why I try not to get caught up so much on making winning my ultimate goal. Uh, look, I love to win. I do. Uh, I, I don't want to go out there and lose. Uh, that's for darn sure. But uh, for me, you just don't spend enough time talking about wins as you grow old. You, you spend time talking about people and the relationships you have. So that's why we try to make that our biggest goal when guys are with us. Do you feel that if you were doing what you were doing and instead of being 37 and 20 last year, if you were 20 and 37, would you consider that the same uh, equally as successful if you were losing a lot more games than you were winning? Or do you believe that winning is a part of the experience and teaching these players how to be successful after these four years of college baseball are over? Winning is definitely a part of teaching them success. Uh, it is. I Because I, I tell guys, too, in the recruiting process that for the rest of your lives, you're going to compete. Uh, if you if you think, like, losing is okay, then you're crazy. And enjoy never getting jobs. Enjoy not being good at your job once you get it. Um, so winning is definitely a huge piece, piece of teaching these kids how to grow up. Um, but I think if you win 20 games, you win 37 games, the relationship piece always stays the same. Uh, when we were 20 and 26 – I would consider our relationship building a success that year. When we were 37 and 20, 
I would consider it a success. That never changes for us. Um, but winning definitely is a tool that allows us to teach life skills as well. Um, because I, I do think guys that, that win at a high level also possess different traits that will allow them to be successful in life uh, when it comes to the work side of stuff. So uh, the relationship piece, I don't, it, it does go hand in hand because I think great relationships – that you have with players, typically you're going to look at teams and they win a lot uh, because they, they trust the coaching staff. But I don't necessarily believe that's fully why you win games, uh, if that makes sense. It does. And I, and I definitely I think that we need to spend more time talking about winning because I, I love bringing on coaches onto the podcast who win and finding out exactly what the formula is. And I'd like to spend some time there. Um, this podcast, this part of the podcast is brought to you by Diamond Kinetics. In every season, our friends at Diamond Kinetics are here to help you train smarter, get better, and so you can dominate on the field this coming season. DK's line of mobile-based motion technology products give players and coaches the ability to practice smarter, practice more effectively, and have more confidence in the batter's box and on the mound. On the hitting side, DK's swing tracker bat sensor provides in-depth comprehensive swing analysis for the data-driven baseball player and coach. Attach the sensor to any bat, swing, and immediately see your barrel speed, bat acceleration, and 3D swing plane to enhance player development. DK's revolutionary swing fingerprint identifies your hitting hot zones and helps you improve your approach at the plate. With Diamond Kinetics, you will train smarter and get better and have more confidence on the field this spring. Coach Grinder, I just I want to talk about uh, winning a little bit more with you, and I'm sure we're going to end up going some different avenues before the podcast is, is totally done here. But I do want to talk about winning, and I want to talk about... Um, some of the other key ingredients to winning. Obviously, from our conversation so far, um, it's it's the relationship part of coaching that that you probably feel like is is one of, if not the most important part about what you're doing. But I do want to talk about key components of winning on a day to day basis. You know, on field. Let's talk about some on field things. Can you? Are, are there any specific things that you feel that? your program does really well and it's because of these things that your team is ready to be on the field and ready to win whether that's um the way that you practice or certain practice activities or how much time you spend on different things or the speed of practice it just it, whatever it is what are some key components to ottawa baseball that has led your team to uh to athletically you know be able to achieve what they have in a short period of time I think the, the first thing I would say is the speed of what we do things and then how much we make our guys compete. Those are staples in, in what we do. Uh, we, we practice at a pace that's always going to be quicker than game speed. We just do. Uh, we typically route at the field for two, two and a half hours. I, I don't believe in super long practices because um, I think if you're having super long ones and you're doing everything slow, and if you're doing everything slow, you're probably going to get your teeth kicked in when you play really good teams. Uh, so for us, we practice at a breakneck pace because I want guys to be really uncomfortable and challenged and struggle. Uh, baseball is a game of failure, and if we create a practice plan that just always allows them to succeed every single day, we haven't set them up to really be successful because uh, we haven't taught them how to fail and, and come back and, and beat it the next day then. Um, so for us, um, speed is definitely number one. I think that allows young guys to develop quicker, and I think it allows old guys to become even more polished off. And then we compete like crazy. Um, 
I, I really got a lot of that from Coach Parker, the, the competitive side. Um, when you step out on the field, someone's going to win and someone's going to lose when you're playing. Um, you don't get to go home and, and just decide, hey, like we're going to tie today. Uh, I, I guess if you run out of light, you can tie. But uh, typically, you're going to have a winner and a loser every single day you step out there. So when we go out to practice, we compete every day that we're out there. Um, if we're not scrimmaging, then we'll have a challenge that day that the team has to complete. Um, and that's sometimes it can be as simple as, hey, clean up BP in five minutes. And when it's that, it's it's a rat race, watching guys run around to clean everything up. Uh, or it could be as difficult as, uh, hey, we're doing our, our square drill today infield-wise. And, and that's typically, gosh, three to 400 ground balls uh, all across the board to, to all the positions at once. So if that's the case, then, hey, we're going to field it at a 985 percentage today. Um, so we do different things like that if we're not scrimmaging. But typically we're going to scrimmage four to five times a week. So we split them in teams, and there's winners and losers there. Um, we, we compete even in BP rounds. Uh, our guys have built that into where they'll challenge each other. Um, we put actually boards up every day because I think it's important for guys to see where they're at. Uh, so guys will challenge each other to see who hits the ball harder uh, in the situation that they're put in. We make our pitchers compete every day. Uh, they play a simple point game with the head in the chest when they're playing catch. Um, I'll get out there and I'll even compete against those guys because uh, I love t- trash talking them and whooping them when I can. Uh, so I'll pick my I'll pick my battles though when I do that, but. Um, uh, we'll get out there and, and get after it with the guys as well. And I think that competitive edge is what allows us to win also uh, just because our guys, they're they're prepared for whatever situation comes their way. Uh, and it just allows them to go out there and get after some people. And I would, my best example of it would be when we were in the regional in Louisiana this past year, uh, I think we were down two to one in the seventh inning. Um, Benedictine's pitcher was just balling us. He was good. Um, just tearing us up and I, I pulled the hitters in and said, Hey, this is exactly like champions. We're down late and we got to scratch something together. And champions is a competitive batting practice that, that we use that I, I had gotten from coach Parker, my town, Oklahoma Wesleyan. And you could see the guys almost take a little breath and zone in. And I think we scratched two or three runs at it. Um, ended up winning the game four, two, I believe, or three, two. I can't remember exactly, but, um, it just, it allowed the guys to rely back on preparation. And I think that's why the speed and the competition that we use every single day allows our guys to succeed because they'll, they'll see it throughout the year that, Hey, we're down right now, but we've practiced this so much or we're up and now we're in the situation where we got to put the game away. Um, and that's why I think we're successful on the field. So you just added another three hours to our podcast here with those answers. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. Um, I, so I, I want to just, I want to start with um, the speed at which you practice. What, uh-huh. what specifically does that mean? Does that mean that, um, well, you tell me what, what specifically does that mean when you say the speed of your practice is really important to you and the fact that you only practice for two, two and a half hours, but you're going to get a lot of stuff done in that time. So what exactly does that, what does that look like? What is that, uh, you know, if you're, if there's a high school coach listening to this, who's like, who just, who wants to know exactly what you mean by that? Is there a way that you can, can you describe what you mean by when you say the speed of your practice is a little bit of a different level? Yeah. So like square drill, for instance, and we stole it off of coach Corbin. Uh, at Vanderbilt. I, I didn't come up with it, but um, it's a way for our infielders to get, gosh, 
80 to 90 ground balls apiece within a 15-minute period. Um, so that's smashing a lot of ground balls at a quick pace because they're, they're two-minute um, – they're two minute increments. So we do two minutes and we switch to a, a, a different setup that they're going to do two minutes, another one, another one, so on. So they get a lot of working with different scenarios. Um, so we're rifling uh, four fungos at them. Uh, each position has their own fungo. So it's just, as soon as you feel a ground ball, you're turning the back of the line to throw it to the, to the pitcher that's holding the bucket. And then before you can even catch your breath, you're back up to the front, ready to take the next one. And we're just going really fast and making you work. Um, and then stuff like champions, um, we'll put our offense, we'll put them in a, a five nothing hole right away or something like that. And then we put them on a timer uh, and give them 10 minutes. And if they hit any double plays, they lose runs. If they have dumb base running mistakes, they lose runs. Uh, but they got to execute different stuff. Uh, and figure out ways to score runs and, and a time constraint. And I know that sounds crazy because there's no time constraint in baseball. We don't have a shot clock, but it's our way to mimic, hey, you're running out of bounds. Uh, if I make you score five runs in, in five minutes, uh, it just puts that pressure on you. Where if I said, hey, we've got, we've got 12 rounds to score five runs. Sure, there's pressure, but there's no clock ticking down. Um, and I, I feel like the clock is a way to amp up pressure on guys. Um, so we use that a lot and then just how quickly we go through drills, uh, allows us to, to speed them, to speed up their internal clock as well and force them to do things that are uncomfortable. Um, and then with our hitters, we use the machine a ton. I've gone away from just your normal RBP and we use the machine a ton and force them to be in situations that are uncomfortable and, and probably they'll only see maybe one or two times during the year. But again, they see it enough then. They're just ready for whatever comes after them. So with the uh, with champions, that was one thing I, I had uh, done that I wanted to talk about. So that you you're, you're talking about you know giving the guys a time constraint five minutes, ten minutes to score X number of runs. Is that off of a machine? Is that off a of BP? Is that off of a live arm? Are you leaving like uh, an offense? Basically, they get to hit for five or ten straight minutes, and then when there's three outs, they, they clear the bases, but they continue to hit for that period of time. Can you just kind of describe what that looks like? So I'll typically throw champions because I want to try to saw some people's thumbs off um, <laughs> and, and create some double plays. I try to cook the books a little bit, I'm not going to lie, uh, and put even more pressure on guys. So um, I'll throw because we, we typically put our guys in one-one counts, and if you foul one off, you take a pitch, now you're one-two, and I'm going to throw you anything at that point in time. Uh, and I, I enjoy striking people out. So, uh, I try to get guys there. So we have that element in there. And I, I mean, I don't throw it easy. Like the, the running joke is after I throw champions, I'm pretty much on the shelf for a week until we play it again. Uh, it's, I'm at 45 feet. I'm going to try to gas guys. So we get after it with that. But then for us, like we do different scenarios. Um, we'll put guys in a, in a hit run situation. And if the hit run's successful, like that's a run or a point, however you want to call it. Um, and if it's not successful, then it's just nothing. You hit into a double play, it's minus. And, and we'll let those guys hit for four minutes of hit runs, just trying to execute it at a high level. And it's just a merry-go-round. So you got all 20 hitters going. Guys are running, guys are hitting, it just keeps moving. And it's against a line defense as well. And then another one that we do a ton is uh, scoring from second base. And the only way you get a run there or a point there is the guy scores from second base. Uh, and then typically the third one that we do, and, and I think it's vitally important, and again, I never really thought about it until I was with Coach Parker, um, but we put him in situations where it's like first and second one out or first and third one out, 
and you can't get into the double play. You got to keep the ball off the ground and you got to move runners around. Uh, so we put them in those situations. And so hopefully when we get to the spring, we're really successful with those because we've done them so much and put them in time constraints and uncomfortable spots that they can execute when people are coming after them. This is awesome. Really, really good stuff. So the live defense you have during Champions BP, are they um, are they playing every ball out live? Are they are they finishing plays or are they just out there, uh, you know, fielding it without completing throws? How how you know how live is the defense? Oh, we play that sucker completely live. You got to field it, throw it, complete the whole play. Uh, sometimes if I'm if I'm feeling really partial to one team, I mean, a ball will be five feet foul, and we'll yell play and just put more pressure on people that way. Um, we we play everything full speed and live when we play champions because we want to create as much havoc, both offensively and defensively. Uh, it works both ways for us. I mean, guys are getting reps defensively and guys are getting reps offensively. Um, but we try to create as much havoc during that drill as we possibly can. As far as the competitive side of your practices, you said that how much you compete also is a separator for you all. Um, do you find do you try to find ways to compete in everything, even like like really basic, super simple type drills you might do on defensively, or you know having guys if guys are swinging off, you know hitting hitting balls off tees or whatever? Do you find a way to compete in in everything, or only when it's um, you know when it's more team oriented things? And just curious about the com- the competitive side of your practices. So I, I always tell our guys, and our assistant coaches are awesome. They do a ton of early work with our guys and, and individual stuff. So I always tell guys, that's your time to kind of feel stuff out and work on uh, mechanics, uh, if you want to use that term, uh, is through early work. And our assistants do an awesome job with helping our guys develop that way. Uh, but when we get to practice, we really do compete at everything. We keep charts on every last thing that there is because if I'm going to tell a guy, hey, I don't think you're the dude that's going to play, I think you got to have something to back that up. Uh, I don't think you can just tell them, like, hey, man, you're not going to play. Well, why, coach? Because I feel that way. Um, so we keep video and numbers on every last thing that we do. And that allows us to, to show guys, too, hey, you're really developing in this area. You've done an awesome job. Or on the flip side, we need more out of you. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, so we do compete in everything, whether that's you see it right away with – something like champions or whether it's like square drill where you're not necessarily competing during square drill it's just kind of crazy speed but you are competing because you get to see your fielding percentage the next day and see wow i i really stunk because no one likes to see themselves at the bottom of a of a chart being the worst at something so there's that value as well because we post everything up on our whiteboard down at the practice field i, I say practice field that's that's kicking it back to oklahoma wesley days down at our field at Ottawa, we, we post it up on the whiteboard, and um, guys get to see exactly where they stand in the program. With actually velo, velo off the mound, fielding percentage, batting average, it's all right there. And I think that's a great motivator for guys to compete as well because, again, I just don't think we as human beings enjoy being on, being on the bottom. So if you're on the bottom, it's going to cause you to fight a little bit more and find a way out. At your practices, when you are scrimmaging – uh, and things where it's it's you know one team against another for any particular thing. Do you do anything specific for winners? Like I've talked to guys in the past who have just even who have done like you know the loser has to clean up the field today, losing team has to clean up the field, or like the winning team gets uh, a Gatorade after the practice or whatever. Do you do anything like that, or is it just that you you want to instill the love of winning in guys and 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 just the friendly competition part of it? Just curious how you handle that. 
we do have the losers do stuff. I don't ever do like running or anything like that if you've lost. Um, but we'll do clean up the field. Um, my personal favorite is, hey, if you lost, you have to serve the winner's dinner in the cafeteria tonight. <laughs> um, I love that because guy, I make guys send videos and um, I, I enjoy watching them put their orders in and having guys go get it for them. Um, carry, carry their bags back up to the parking lot because we have a we have a little hill coming down from our parking lot comes to the field so uh, we always sprint out of practice we don't walk up the hill so if you're carrying two bags it might make the job a little a little more crappy for you leaving practice and, and I, I like to leave that because I like to do things like that because at the end of the day I don't ever want people to be okay with losing um, I don't want people to lose and then ah, there's no consequence who cares because if we do that then we've built that into their brain during the season that, hey, we lost, whatever, there's a game tomorrow, we'll just get back at it. There has to be consequences for losing because we, we do want our guys to understand that losing is not okay. Um, and just simple, small things that uh, people might think are kind of a waste of time, uh, you do that enough, you're going to want to stop losing, and you're going to figure out ways to win. So we do little stuff uh, definitely to, to, to get the losers incentivized to, to go out and win the next time. Who is keeping the charts, fielding percentages, you know, taking the video for you guys? Uh, obviously, you're tracking a lot of things, and you have to have bodies to do that. Who does that for your program? So our assistants do. Um, we have a, a video camera that sits on our, our top shelf of our uh, our bleachers uh, down at the field, so it shoots out from home plate. And then we also keep a camera in dead center field uh, that zooms in on the hitter and the pitcher. So we keep a lot of our hitting – and pitching metrics that we that we take, we keep it through the center field camera, and then all of our fielding stuff is done from our camera behind the plate. Uh, and then guys will just go back in the next morning, and they're designated certain positions defensively. They watch the video, and they're typically done within about forty five minutes to an hour. Um, and then the hitting and pitching video that will be a little more time consuming because that's every single pitch. But um, that's how we do it: uh, video everything, and then just go back the next morning and start breaking it all down. Very good. And you've mentioned uh, your field. You know, you don't have a practice field, but you've got – you have just the game field. But you guys – just something that people may not expect with an NAIA program. You guys have a nice turf field at your place. How long has it been that way? It we That was finished during the COVID shutdown. Um, so we were actually supposed to start playing on it the week everything got shut down um, during COVID, what, 18, 19 months ago. So um, we – I had to – go and stare at it all summer and not watch anyone play on. Uh, I, I let my little kids run out there and kick the ball around um, almost every day just so I could be out on a baseball field. But uh, I had to wait a while for us to get out on that. But that thing's uh, it's just a little over a year old at this point in time. Um, so it's very brand new for us. Is that something that recruits are surprised to see when they show up on campus to see that, hey, this NAIA school's got a really nice field, maybe a lot nicer than uh, than they would have expected or nicer than even some of the higher-level schools around you? I do. Uh, I think guys are pleasantly surprised at that because my first two years in recruiting, I wouldn't even take a guy, take a guy down to the field. Um, we did not have a good field when I, when I first got here. Uh, it was just kind of a beat-up infield. Uh, we did some work on it the first year, and just we beat it up again with the way we practice, and our athletic director and president are awesome and have been great supporters for us in the baseball program. And, and they looked around and said, hey, we need to help you and do something here. So um, we actually have an, an entire turf facility down there. So it's our field. 
uh, our softball field's turfed, and then we have a, a practice soccer slash football slash lacrosse field that's completely turfed as well. So we have an unbelievable facility uh, that we get to use uh, for ourselves, not only with the baseball field, but that big practice field as well, getting out, letting our pitchers do some work on it. Um, it it's a it's a first-class facility that we have, and then we got that down there, and we're actually in the, the midst of building a, a four-point I think it's a $4.2 billion strength and conditioning facility that's currently being built right now. So for us at DNAI, I think we have facilities that there's some Division One schools wish they had, uh, and we get that, that get that at our place. And I think that's why when guys show up on campus and they can see everything, it's a great place for them to come and play. It's pretty special at that level. And I think that in the age when kids want to – they want to play at a good facility. They want to be in a nice weight room. They, you know, they want to play to feel that looks good and plays well. Um, I, I can't imagine, you know, the surprise that, that guys have when they show up on campus and see what you guys have and what you're building and that your athletic department cares about what's going on. Did you know that going in, Gabe, when you took this job, just what your administration was going to be like and the, the amount of support you were going to get? Because I can't imagine, um, you know, being in your position, and if you were at Ottawa, and just say that they, they, the administration didn't really have any intention of doing anything to help you, and it was always you and and fighting and and you know a, a lot of like resistance from the top. I can imagine how frustrating that would be, and and that would be a reason to say, you know what, I'm going to have some success here and get out of here, as opposed to a, an administration that that wants to back you and that wants to help you any way they can. Did you know going into this situation that this was what your administration was going to be like and how they were going to treat baseball, or has this been a little bit of a pleasant surprise for you? No, I, I kind of gathered this is the way it was going to be. Uh, so Coach Parker, when I when I was going through this process of interviewing, he had given me great wisdom and questions to ask and things to look for. And one of the biggest things he said is make sure you go to a place that can win and wants to win. Uh, so I, I, I always in a roundabout way, because I interviewed at a few places – uh, the year I got the Ottawa job, and um, when I took the Ottawa job, I took it because I asked Miss Araby, our AD, at the time, a question of, hey, what do you guys expect out of the program? And people will give you uh, different answers, but what I what I was looking for is we expect to win. We want to win. And she that summer that I interviewed, she was the only, I should say that spring when I was interviewed through jobs, late spring, she was the only athletic director that said that when I interviewed at places. And that just it stuck out to me big time and it attracted me. And I, I was very anxious to find out if I was going to get the job or not, because when she said those, those words, it just, it resonated with me that she cares about winning and she wants to do that. And I do think that the personal development is huge for guys. The, the doing everything you're supposed to in the classroom is huge, but you can do all that and still win. And to be the, uh, and to be in an athletic department that wants that, it's awesome because we win it a lot of different sports here and it's because our athletic director expects that and, and wants that out of us uh and then we have a great president dr Reds, who actually got hired right after i got hired um he came from southwestern christian and dr Reds loves sports and he loves winning so there's been a big push for that and emphasis on it and our administration is fantastic and and supporting us and the other thing that's awesome about this place is that our administration, uh, again, another thing that drew me to this place, our administration cares about family, um, and they ask about family. They want our family to be around as much as possible, and it just makes it a great place to be. 
That's really special. Uh, there are not a lot of places around the country at any level that um, have all of those ingredients that you just mentioned there for to, you know to create a really successful athletic department. And and so many programs out there, I think, feel like they're on an island because there's one or two successful programs, and the rest of the schools not that good. So the you know the expectations aren't really there. The support's not really there. So to have what you have there, Coach Grinder, is is pretty special. Um, just a couple other quick questions before we uh, before we wrap up this podcast. Just uh, things that we've already talked about that I just want to um, I want to go back to before we wrap this thing up. Um, I, I I'm curious about. Well, I have a couple questions. I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna skip to this one. I'm curious about your spring practices and whether uh-huh. your spring practices are at the same speed that we've talked about, or if that's mainly something that you do in the fall and you maybe, um, you know, scale back a little bit in the spring just to keep guys healthy and fresh, or if you keep the keep the pedal down and uh, and and really keep the same amount of competitiveness, the same speed of practice, the intensity of practice in the spring, you know, between games as you do in the fall. Early on, yes, because um, I just don't think early on we're prepared to win yet at a high level. Uh, and I think it's always tough for our guys to hear that. But uh, I, I listened to Coach Parker say that for three years, and I watched how many games we won, and I watched how he practiced. And, and I just I always tell guys, like, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel that much if, if it works. So for us, we push guys like crazy early on still. Um, just because we still haven't played that many games, so your body shouldn't be that wore out. Uh, and there's still that skill acquisition that we can be having early on in the season that will determine a lot of what we do late in the season. And maybe that's why the last two years during COVID and this past season, we got off to kind of slower starts, more 500 starts, because I pushed guys. But for me, it's not about being the best team in February. For me, it's about being the best team we can be in May. And I think that happens through continuing that skill acquisition phase early on in the season. And then as we start to get deeper into it, we do back off um, because I do want guys performing at a really high level. So we put more emphasis on just maintaining what we have and preparing them to go out there and play uh, down the home stretch. Last question, Coach, here. How do you think that winning and losing – on the baseball field translates into the rest of these players' lives? Because we've talked a lot about developing their character and developing them to be good human beings once they're done playing baseball because, you know, college baseball is going to last four or five. uh, (laughs) Now with COVID, I could say maybe six or seven years, Uh, but but it's going to end at some point. Um, And then these, these guys are going to go get jobs. They're going to have, they're, they're going to, you know, a lot of them are going to get married. A lot of them are going to have kids. Um, but I, I'm curious to know, we, we spent the beginning of this podcast talking about more character building. The second half of the podcast talking about, you know, more on-field skills and, and winning and the uh, ingredients of uh, of that and, and what makes a good winning program. But I'm, I'm just curious about how you feel like winning and losing translate to the rest of your life because you did say at one point i just kind of asked about the importance of winning and you said that you still believe that it's important to win on the field uh and and in this the the bigger picture of developing guys for the rest of their lives how does winning and losing on the baseball field for the three or four or five years that they're with you how does that translate to 
you know, success the rest of their lives. And I'm asking this because if someone's out there who's doesn't think it's a big deal to, you know, for a baseball program that focuses on things, you know, besides winning, their main focuses are developing the character and developing relationships, but they don't win on the field. Whereas your program, you know, the focus is, is on developing the character of the players, but also winning is a, is a byproduct of that and, and winning in a big way, you know, winning a conference championship last year and just your third year, really only your second full year. Curious to know your thoughts about how winning and losing will impact these guys for the rest of their lives and why winning is something that you think is a skill they need to develop while they're with you. I think winning is a skill to develop because in the job force, for instance, we'll start there. Uh, I think if you want to be successful and you want to continue to climb the, the ladder in the business world, you have to know what it takes to win. You have to be willing to put in the extra work to, to continue to fight when your back's against the wall, to, to do jobs that other people don't want to do. Uh, and, and I think winning allows that to happen later on in life because I, I do think winners in the college, in the college baseball game, uh, they're the guys that, hey, when, the back, when my back's against the wall, I'm just going to keep fighting. I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to put in that extra work all day long so that I'm successful when I step out on the field. And I think those skills that you acquire there translate to what you do in a job as well. Because if you're the lazy guy that, hey, I'm not going to put in the extra work and uh, man, our back's against the wall, like I quit. I don't, I don't want to do more to try to win. Uh, you're the same guy than when you're in the business world. You're going to do the same things. You're not going to do the extra work your boss wants you to do. You're going to do just enough to get by, just enough to survive. Uh, and I think that's why winning is so important because, uh, look, I, I think anyone can go 20 and 26. That's easy to do. Um, but I think winning and winning at the rate we did last year, that takes a lot of work. And I would say anyone can go get a job. I mean, you can. You can go get a job doing something out there if you want one. But if you want a successful job that maybe pays you in a certain bracket you want to be in, that's going to take some work. Uh, that's why I believe winning now and teaching those skills now is very important for guys down the road to be successful in business. And then when you talk about being a dad and, and being a husband, I think winning is important because I, I always tell guys, gosh, probably once a week we have this talk. Um, I think champions, when they're tired, find a way to just go into a different gear. They, they find a way to dig in and pull more out of themselves. And, and if they're not doing it that day, then I'll pull it out of them. I have no problem doing that because I'll just keep pushing. Uh, because I want these guys to understand that when you think you got nothing left, there's always more in the tank. And I've said that around my wife, and now she holds me hostage with that. Uh, I can't tell you how many times. Uh, but uh, there is. There's always more in the tank, and, and I think that's where winners excel. Also, they know that when they're tired, when they feel like they can't do more, Again, they just find that other that other level to go to and pull more out of themselves, and I think that's huge in being a uh, a husband and a father because you're going to come home from work and you're going to be gassed. You could easily check out and not be there for your family. But I always tell guys that you don't get that option if you want to be a good husband and a good father. You could be exhausted and you have to go home and you have to be present. You have to check in. Uh, I tell our guys that. There's countless amount of times that we'll go home from practice after we've had a crazy one that I'm gassed. And there's nothing that would be better than to just sit down and veg out and watch a baseball game. But I got three little kids, five, four, and three. And 
guess what? They want to play when I get home. So I go home and we play and we go crazy. And then I spend time with my wife and talk with her after we get the kids to bed because I want to be present for them. So I think that's where winning comes in on that side. Learn to be present in all situations while you're playing college baseball, no matter how tired you are. And then you'll be present in all situations um, as you progress through life and, and become a husband and a father. Uh, and then, again, in the business world, when you do the little things here and you just outwork people, you're going to do the little things outwork people uh, when you're in the business sector. So that's why I think teaching and winning at a high level is important because uh, Matt Parker says it all the time. And uh, I know I've quoted him a bunch, but that guy really helped me change as a coach. Uh, he says it all the time that if winning was easy, everyone would do it. If you want to win at a certain level, it takes a special person, and that's what we want to do here. We want to teach people how to be special individuals with the work ethic uh, that we put into things, and, and I think that allows them to be really successful when they get out of here. This has been a, a really special podcast. This is Gabe Grinder, who's joined us today. He's the head coach at Ottawa University, an NAIA program very successful NAIA program in Ottawa, Kansas. And Gabe, I certainly want to thank you for being here from everything that you've, you know, gone through today and, and taught us and talked about. You're obviously, uh, you know, for, for your age, a very young coach, but you had a ton of success. I think that you're wise beyond your years and clearly a great leader for your the, the players in your program. And I think you have a, a unique perspective that you bring to a lot of this, which is I really enjoyed hearing. Um, and I think that you coach and, and you coach players to play the right way and certainly represent NAIA in a very, uh, at a very high level. So coach grinder, appreciate you joining us in this podcast. Hopefully this is not the last we hear from you at figured out baseball. Uh, you can hear hundreds of more podcasts by going to figuredoutbaseball.com. All these podcasts are free for anyone to listen to. And if you listen to this one, if you're still listening to it, you've hopefully you've learned a lot in this one. And I hope you'll go check out some other podcasts where uh, you, you will learn a lot from other guys as well. But Coach Grinder, thank you so much for being here with us today. I appreciate you having me on, Jeff.